So support for Faded Truth is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Ladies, listen up. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for you and your man's jewels. For any woman out there who has come across a hairy bush, you're now in luck. Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, have just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Yes, the 4.0. Make sure your man joins the 2 million men worldwide who are already trusting Manscaped with this exclusive offer. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FADED at manscaped.com. If you're looking to purchase the perfect gift for him that he will actually use, Manscaped is my go-to. Goodbye, Harry. Hello, clean. This sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer is the best thing on the market for a cleaner shave as it's waterproof and you can trim in the shower to spare the mess. There's definitely times that I have gone down there and I'm like, we're not going any farther because you're too hairy. Sorry. Keep it trimmed. Girls don't want anything in their mouth other than what's supposed to be in there. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on an intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade, reduced grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. This new sexy trimmer includes a multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock and also give your man the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed. For a more precise shave, his balls will thank you. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes one to four. Ooh. You know what they say, trimming the bushes makes the tree look taller. <laughs> Did I mention wireless charging? Our new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. So you can make it sexy anywhere. Men. If you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, um, gross. You've been doing it wrong. Ladies, make it right for you and them with the new Lawnmower 4.0. The optimized Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is also waterproof, so your man can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. All right, so you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FADED at manscaped.com. Ladies, this is a perfect gift for you and your man, and trust me, he will thank you. And men, your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FADED at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code FADED. Experience premium grooming with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. What's up? Welcome back to Faded Truth. Before you do anything, like, share, and subscribe. You know you're at the best place to be for the best mix between cannabis and creatives. And today I have Mr. Glasses Malone on the hey. show. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. How you Thank feeling you. over there? Cooling, man. Just... <laughs> All right, so I really appreciate you coming on. I'm excited. I just met you yesterday at the uh, Zoo Music Review. Yeah. Uh, show which was awesome shout out to all them over there appreciate yeah. you having me shout out to room service radio as well yeah. basically the best way i can describe you is a la rapper who is known for the tupac must die video that got 5.1 million views on youtube yeah that was in like 19 right yeah, yeah. okay so i kind of want to start from the beginning you grew up in watts and compton both yeah and my mom lived in compton pretty much she owned the house in compton and my dad owned the house in watts and they weren't together so Okay. Back and forth between both households. Would you say you grew up in the streets? 
For the most part, that's fair. That's a fair analysis. That's fair. And do you think that that's, do you think that's kind of like something that's common for everyone that lives there? Like you, you're kind of like born into that generational pattern of. For Watson Compton, yeah, because you you from where you from before you even decide that this is what you want to do. It's not as as vague as it seems, where it's like, oh, it's just gangs, or you get you fight somebody and now you're from a gang. It's like, no, it's. These are your friends. You grew up with your friends, and y'all all do everything together. So even if you're starving together, you're surviving together, whatever you do, you do it together. And that bond is what allows, you know, what people think of gangs. You know, you commit crimes to try to get ahead. It starts like that, or to defend yourself, or to make a name for yourself, you know, so you can become somebody. So, yeah, everybody that grows up in Compton and watch, you're pretty much from where you're from, even if you don't, you know, throw up a sign or hold a bandana, you... We all gonna recognize you from over there. Anthony, the actor Anthony Anderson is from uh, Hollywood. You know whether or not he said, "Yeah, I'm a pyro," is that's not important. He's from Hollywood, and we all gonna look Holly at him Hood. like that. Yeah. That's what's called. Yep, Holly. I think it's Holly Avenue in Compton, so they call it Hollywood Pyro. Okay. So Anthony Anderson, right? This big successful actor, we're gonna all look at him like Hollywood, and you know this kid from Compton. And does that? Do you think that gives kids hope now? Like seeing those actors and 100%. people like you coming out of the mud, just kind of excelling in life? 100%. I mean, where we from, you know, it ain't like doctors live in the same neighborhood. Teachers live in the same neighborhood. So, you know, um, lack of opportunity creates a lack of vision. You can't see past your circumstance. Mm -hmm. So all you see, when you when you look for success, you, you only could see what's in front of you. Again, when you lack economics, when you lack opportunity, your vision is reduced. Like the average person's vision becomes reduced. So all they can see is what's in front of them. Mm -hmm. So whatever you see successful in front of you, that's what you believe you could become. So if you see Anthony Anderson and you knew he grew up around the way, you might think you could be an actor, a producer right. of a film or a television show. If you see Glasses Malone, Nipsey Hussle, or J-Rock, you might, oh, I could be a rapper or I could be an entrepreneur, you know, which is kind of a tough thing because you want teachers and doctors that grew up around the way, they should live around the way. That's my opinion. You've dealt with a lot of different things, though, growing up in the hoods. So you became a gang member, sold drugs. Your mom did a 20-year bid? Yeah, she died in prison. Rest <sighs> her soul. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. So this, she got sentenced to 240 months in prison, which is 20 years. So my mom was a registered nurse. She had a master's in nursing or whatever her degree was in. But she was a registered nurse, but um, kind of addicted to the hustle. You know, just being ahead, trying to get ahead. So she had figured out ways. It started off with simple ideas, turning... $10 postal money orders to $1,000 money orders, you know what I mean, and crazy stuff like that. And that's how she first was getting on. And my dad was, like, really a smart person. Like, he was really wise, so he used to help her. But when they kind of split up, things start happening different. And my mom was, like, she had super heart, so she would do – she was down. Even if the hustle wasn't completely thought out, she would just go get it and make it happen. So that's wow. how she was. So it went from something simple as that. And then by the end of it all, you know, they took her nursing license, obviously, because she had gotten in trouble at that point. And now she, it became like just to survive. So she was on a 40 freeway with a 10 kilos of cocaine and seven gallons of PCP. Wow. And they caught on a, on a 40 freeway going to 
and I then think. she passes in jail. Yeah, she died in 2011, so I think six or seven years into her sentence. I really um, appreciate you talking about her. It's Mother's Day, the day we're recording on, so oh, RIP to your mom. Legend, and, yeah, she's a legend. Um, I, I hope you find mental peace, you know, knowing that she's in a better place. Uh, definitely without the struggle. Um, but, I mean, I was just thinking the other day, I wish I could talk to her. Like, I would have so many questions to ask her right now as I got older. Okay, so obviously you needed a lot of outlets growing up. And that's, you know, so was music your main outlet, you think, or what was no. the first kind of creative thing you got into? My initial outlet was I used to write stories when I was in like fifth grade and I used to sell stories. I actually never told anybody this, but I used to write these video game stories that was based off video games and I used to write them by hand and I would sell them to friends at school. The video game stories? Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a story about Mario. I wrote a story about... Mike Tyson. I probably wrote like three or four stories that I sold, and then I wrote other ones. Wow. What was your favorite video game? Uh, growing up would have to be... I don't know if I had a favorite. Probably Mike Tyson Punch-Out, but I got so mm -hmm. good at it kind of fast. I so was a Mario out. girl. Mario was yeah. dope, but I like Mario Kart more. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they came out with a double dash Yeah. when I was younger on GameCube, but I was like, it's on. So, obviously, right, growing up in high school, it was Street Fighter. Mm -hmm. Street Fighter 2, actually, at that point. Um, Mortal Kombat. I, I played all of those games growing up. I probably haven't been an active gamer probably since 20 or 19 or something. Once I start pretty much hustling and selling dope, playing games was pretty much over. Right. Well, yeah. you don't got time because you're yeah. trying to survive. Yeah, you're trying to get to it. So how do you get into music? I was grown. I was probably 22, 23. Um, the first time you rapped? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My brother came home from YA, which was like... Um, like a prison for like junior adults. I mean, we say junior adults. Um, it could be from under 18 all the way up to 25. Okay. We call it Youth Authority, YA. Um, he had just gotten in trouble. He had came home, and my mom had put, put a lot of pressure on me about trying to keep him out of trouble. And he came home wanting to rap. And he came and talked to me. And I had rapped a little, like joking around with my friends, battle rapping, stuff like that, just clowning, but not rapping. And he was like, yo, we should form a group. And I was like, oh, okay. And my older brother, he told my older brother, who actually became my manager, my older brother, Pooh, he was like, oh, we should all become a group. So we all started rapping together. And that's how we first started recording songs. And then my older brother was like, oh, I'm too old to do it. I'm going to become a manager. <laughs> so then he started managing us, and we kept making songs. And we made this one song called BG's Make the World Go Round. And people thought it was dope, you know, from our neighborhood and around the way. And then my brother got in trouble again, and I liked it. It became like this super um, therapeutic outlet, mm -hmm. and I kept on doing it. And I just got kind of good at it. And, and you was I, already writing. Yeah, I was already was writing, writing yeah, stories. I was already writing, so was yeah. it like, were you writing your own music? Was it like second nature at that point? Because you're like, all right, um, cool. I, already, I can already like be in my imagination. I don't think it was second nature. I had to work at it. My, okay. my first engineer that took me serious, that was really good, who was pretty much the architect for my first successful project as far as the sonics of it. I remember the first time I went to his house and rapped, he slammed the door in my face and told me to go home. <laughs> so, no, I couldn't have been second nature because he wasn't going for it. Because some artists, they say, like, they just take a pen to paper and they just, they're just, like, going. Yeah, some people need to, like, get in their own space. Do you have something specific that you do to get in mindset before you write something? Um, I think that's changed over the years. I think at first I would just reflect on something I went through and then I'll write about that. Or mm -hmm. if I was having 
writer's block, I would write about having writer's block. And I think now um, I tend to listen to other music, like especially music from out the 60s or 50s or 70s, 80s, and I draw comparison to things that have happened in my life or things that's happening today and then reflect those, my experiences or my opinion on those same stories. I think I reflect them in the music now. All our struggles are the same. It ain't, things haven't gotten better. I mean, still inner city blues like Marvin Gaye was talking about or what's going on, it's still those things. So I could take those same ideas and concepts and then reflect them in today. Who did you grow up listening to? Who was some of your inspirations? So if you're from LA, right? Um, everybody's a Ruthless or a Death Row baby. Okay. In my generation, you heard Ruthless, Easy E, NWA, DLC, Michelet, um, Death Row, obviously, Snoop Dogg, Dog Pound, Dr. Dre, Tupac, um, Rage, Nate, anything West. That, but my mom kind of, she's like a big music. She was a big music person. So his mother's that's just funny. But she was she was the music head, so I knew all of the stuff she would always play around me. Obviously, those cameos is in my background, even if I'm not paying attention. Eyes D's in my background, even if I'm not paying attention. All funk. That's all she would listen to was funk and party songs or R&B. Like up-tempo music. She didn't listen to a lot of ballads. Do you remember that the first rap that you wrote? The first rap that I wrote down... No, I don't remember, but it was called Gangsta Shit. So it was with my old, my younger brother and my older brother. And it was a song called We Got That Gangsta Shit. But I don't remember you none don't of the do words. You, you don't remember none of the words? Not, you can't even give me like a line? All I remember is the hook. <laughs> Go, let's Niggas hear know. it. We got that gangsta shit. Let them know. We got that gangsta shit. It was hard. <laughs> I saw it was so tight, too. It, but it was funny because we released, we did five songs. And that was a song that we thought was tight, but then everybody else picked a song that we had called BG's, BG, BG Niggas Make the World Go Round. And that was big. Music is a lot deeper than everybody gives credit, you know, gives credence for it. It's much more special. Like uh, darker people, like blacker people, right? You, you, you tend to focus on the low end of the song, the, the, the drums, the bass. The beat. The, the bass of it, you know what I mean? The drums, the low end of the song. And the brighter you get, you tend to focus on the higher pitch instruments, right? The guitar and the violin. It's like if you listen to Frank Sinatra, you can hear like the violin real loud it. and yeah. it's huge, right? So the brighter you get, you tend to flock to that. It's like where I'm from, right? Black people always say white people can't dance. I realize they can dance. They're dancing to a different instrument. That's why people like Dre is so dope to me. Like he incorporates, he incorporates both. Who, Dr. Dre? Yeah. Okay. Like, Dr. Dre will have, like, you know, old poles and obols in his music and violins and shit. Who's the first celebrity you meet? As far as music? Yeah, because your whole rap sheet is crazy. Like, the first one I met, that's a great question. Okay, met, do I have to talk to this person or I just seen them? Because it no, matters. No, you talk to them. Oh, Dr. Dre. Okay. Where did you meet Jerry's him at? At his house. So I went to, well, his mom's house. So he had a house that he gave to his mom. And in 2004, he had a, uh, it was a New Year's party coming into the new year. And um, he was uh, super cool. And, um, but I go to the family house, my older brothers, uh, 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 his his wife and, and Dr. Dre's sister are, like, they were really close friends. So I was already rapping. You know, and my brother says, hey, man, you want to go to Dr. Dre's house for New Year's? I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> but I think I didn't look at Dre. 
I don't think I looked at rappers like that. Outside of Jay-Z, I didn't really look at rappers like, you know, Snoop is a superstar. Dre just seems like this really casual star. So I don't know. I just really wasn't starstruck with Dre. I never had that feeling with him. And he's a really good guy, too. We at his house. He's not there. His mom's cooking. His mom's a really good cook. Shout out to his mom for Mother's Day, too. She was a super mm. duper good cook. Her food was fucking fire. So we eating this shit, and a dude come walks up, and he puts his hand on my shoulder. We chill out. I'm eating my food. We finish eating. He said, hey, y'all come in here. So we come in the room. He's playing the piano, chilling, just joking. And so we talking, it, you know, we chopping it up and just having a real, a regular conversation. He's such a, for as genius and as brilliant as he is, he's a really regular guy. He's confident in his knowledge, but he's right. a very grounded. regular, grounded guy. Mm -hmm. Like, he's cool. A lot of these dudes that are really genius and brilliant, like, quick, they, like, special. Like, them motherfuckers is out to lunch. You know what I mean? They have regular moments, but then they'll be, like, crazy the next moment. But Dre is, like, level-headed and even-headed the whole time. Even at the tip of his... Yeah, yeah, he's just fucking... This fresh off Eminem. You know, Eminem has sold 10 million records two times on the road, you know, in the States. 20 million worldwide or some crazy shit. And he's just still cool. So we chopping it up, and I remember the craziest thing... Because I didn't understand what music or hip-hop or... I really didn't know. Like, I just listened to it. And I was like, yo, I want to get a beat from you so I can rap on it. Mind you, I hadn't put out any records. I hadn't... I've only been rapping for two, three years, maybe. And I'm telling Dr. Dre, like, yeah, I want a beat from you. I just want to rap on it. You know, that'd be dope if I'm rapping on one of your beats. Now I think about it like, the fuck kind of <laughs> shit is you think? <laughs> I love it. You like right. fuck it. Well, because I didn't know, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't have been like that if I understood. So he, so he's laughing because he knows he's like this motherfucker is crazy. He said, "Hey man, if you bring me a record, if you bring me a record, you know, like a, a record, bring me a hit record, I'll uh give you a beat." And I was like, "All right, for sure," because like solid nigga, I got you. I don't even know what the fuck that really meant. A hit record. I'm like, okay, whatever. So six months later, I go home. Now I'm working on records. I'm just going crazy. I'm telling my boy, we're working on, we're working on, working on. Yeah, you like, I'm Bond trying to impress Dr. Dre right show now. This <laughs> for a beat. Not for a record deal, not for nothing. Just crazy. So I go back. He, I don't even know how I'm going to run into him because I didn't even ask him for his number. I was like, all right, for sure. I got you. I'm going to see. He's like, all right, I'm going to get with you. For sure. <laughs> Some, we working on records. Six months later, he hit us. It's the 4th of July. He's like, hey, Tell him I'm having a 4th of July party. Come through. So I'm like, all right, for sure. I'll, I'll beat you there. I'm going to be ready. So we got about <laughs> seven songs. We got seven songs together. I'm paying for beats at that time. You know, there's no YouTube, so it's no free beats. Right. So I'm buying beats from Battle Cat. I'm buying beats from, it's a guy named St. Denson. You remember the song for Styles P? I get high. Mm -hmm. So this dude got this song. I paid 5000 I bought a beat from him for $5,000. Wow. This is back then. So I'm taking all the drug money buying beats. So, so I'm making these songs. I go back 4th of July. He has a 4th of July party at his beach house. So he had this firework. He was on a walkie-talkie. He's DJing a party. And he's on a walkie-talkie communicating with his ship out in the ocean, in the Pacific <laughs> Ocean. I swear to God, because on Olivia's soul, on my mother's soul, oh God and his son, he's on a walkie-talkie. Like, okay, you ready? So they're sequencing the fireworks show that has a ship with a barge and him, he has created a soundtrack, a score to the fucking fireworks. 
And it's just going with it. So they're timing it. Yeah. So I'm looking at this motherfucker and I'm looking at all this shit happen. <laughs> then it's, doom, doom, this is 50 Cent Fresh Y'all. So you got in the club, doom, 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 fireworks oh, going shit. off. So I'm like, <laughs> nice. oh, this shit is tight. But I still don't get it. Now I get it. I'll be like, this motherfucker is cra- it's crazy. So I'm it's t- crazy what you could do with money. Right. For real. And, and then talent, <laughs> talent and money, right? So. Everything goes off without a hitch. I'm ready to play music. He's loaded. You know what I mean? He like, look, I want to play this music. He said, I got two things. We can play it now, but if I play it now, I got to play it for the whole party. I'm like, hey, play it now. I want to see anyway. <laughs> so he get to playing songs. He cutting off every song 10 seconds into the song. Like, that's not it. That's not In it. Front of- <laughs> so the whole party. So niggas is looking. I'm like, what? So I'm like, how do you know the song in 10 But I didn't say it because I just was like, you know, I, I had good faith that he just wasn't shitting on us. I just didn't understand what was going on. He got to this one song I had, which was on my first tape called All Wrong. My first CD was called White Lightning. He got to the song called All Wrong. And he was jamming it. This kind of cool. He 30 seconds like, but this ain't it. He finally gets to a song I have produced by St. Denson, the dude who made Get High for Styles P. And, um... He's playing a song, it comes on, dun, dun, dun. it's a song I had called De Niro, Money. And he's just jamming it, and the party is shaking their head. Mind you, right before that, this was the last song, before the last song, so all I'm thinking is like, I'm going to make another seven songs. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to go make another seven songs. That's all I'm thinking. When he got to that song. <laughs> he's already in the future. I'm already thinking. <laughs> so he got to that song, dun, dun, dun. he was jamming it. He just thought it was so great. He was like, this it right here. And he was listening to it. And he loved it. He was like, I don't know what you're doing, but this is what you should be doing for a living. He said, if you don't rap for a living, you should be rapping for a living. And it kind of changed my life. People just was, I mean, you could just tell the whole party thought it was dope. And he was, oh, he hugged me and shit, grabbed me. This is what you should be doing. And I was like, that's like a great wow. moment. <laughs> but it, it didn't mean as much then as it does now. Cause like now I understand what Dr. Dre is. I didn't know, like it was just nigga that made rap songs and produced beats. Like, I, fuck, you know what I mean? You didn't know what like goes into it at all. So is there just a bunch of celebs there that you're meeting to for the no, first time? No, or it was like regular people. It was oh, like okay. an old white lady flirted with me. She had to be every bit of, <laughs> she had to be every bit of fifteen years my senior, <laughs> and she kept she was laying across the top of a couch like a cat, like behind my ear, like her head was right here talking to me, and my brother was laughing, Dre was laughing. Now, what year was this? So this is 2004. Okay, so what's what are you doing all the way up until 19 when Tupac Must Die comes out? We're just dropping mixtapes? So at this point now, or... so I, I put out my first mixtape, right? Uh, White Lightning, right? Ended up being like super successful. It works out. Um, my boy Guido pretty much engineered and produced it. Uh, Big Face 100, Game's older brother, A&R'd it. And I used Game's platform, you know, the rapper The Game. His platform, which is Black Wall Street, I was kind of part of their whole movement to release it. So a lot of people did really good things for me. I worked my ass off and it worked out. So I get a deal in 2007 and I'm working on records, but I don't really know what a record is still. I'm writing it all myself. I mean, my first song comes out in 2008 with Akon. It's called Certified, huge hit. I signed the Cash Money Records. Um, What was I saying? Did I give Um, you contact? My bad. No, 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 not at all. (laughs) I've been had it. Long this is you. Yeah, right? that's me. 
It's my first record. It's my first hit song. Wow, that's crazy. We got to celebrate. Let's just so this nostalgia. So 2008, right? And it's blowing up. Mind you, I still don't know what a record is. I still don't know what a record is. But I made it because... So the producer is DJ Toomp. Shout out to my big brother Toomp from Atlanta. Toomp produced what you know about that for T.I., a ton of hit records for okay. T.I. He's super duper dope. And Akon just knew that I was like an authentic dude. He came and did his homework, and he just blessed me. Like, yo, come to the studio. I'm going to do a hook for you. Like, bro, you know, and he was just an awesome guy. Like, he's just wow. a great guy. So he just did some weird shit with Takashi 69 that broke my heart. What he kind of endorsed him and kind of act like he understood why he told. As a man who grew up in that lifestyle, did, did you ever have, like, a spiritual awakening now that you're, um, how old are you, 40? Yeah, 40 now. Uh so the way I got out of selling drugs is one thing, right? Um, so I, how I used to convince myself that it was okay is I thought people were making conscious choices to purchase a product. And I would pride myself in selling a quality style of product. You know what I mean? I was like, yo, I got the best of the best. So I used to convince myself that people were making a choice to spend their money. I didn't really understand chemical addiction, none of these things that were starting to control people. Right. So that's how I rationalized it. I didn't know better. When I figured it out, when the information hit me, it was all downhill from there. I got in trouble. I could tell I was making a bad decision at that point. I knew better. So music saved me from that. You know what I mean? Because like I got out of it based off of I was finna go to prison and I got lucky and I went to jail a lot, but I never ended up going to prison for it. And um, one situation, that one situation where I was going to go to prison the last time for like three years, and I remember I wasn't even scared as much as I realized that having a parole number meant now I'm committed to this life. Mm -hmm. You know, the journey back from people that go to prison into mainstream society is unbelievably, ridiculously too hard. And I knew that. So I knew once that that situation happened and I could go to prison, now I was committed because I wasn't going to try to make the journey back from this lifestyle back to, you know, square lifestyle. I knew it was on. So I was in court one day on my on one of the last cases I caught. And um, I remember praying to God be just being a smart ass, like, man, if you get me out of this, I'd never sell drugs again. Even though at that time, I didn't think it was possible to get me out of it. Like, it was that deep. Like, they had called me enough times, and this judge was hell-bent on putting me in prison. The police was hell-bent on putting me in prison. And I remember saying this bullshit prayer, like, oh, if you get me out of this, I'll never sell charm again. And it was like fast. It was like two seconds. And... I had a fucking bullshit-ass public defender, and he comes in, he's like, yo, I'm going to try to get you this case dismissed. It's probably not going to work, but it'll give us a little bit more time. We can work out a deal to try to get you less time in prison. Maybe I can get you 366 days where you're only in jail for five or six months, but you're going to have a parole number. Public defender goes through the motion. Oh, you know, this case should be dismissed based on blah, 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 whatever that talk is. The judge looked down, he like, you know what? That's true. Something, something, something up. You know, you're lucky, Mr. Penniman, case is missed. Bam. So I'm like, oh, my God, it's on. They didn't dismiss this case. All I'm thinking about is I'm finna go make so much sherm. And I'm finna come <laughs> back and I'm finna be, I'm finna really get this money now. And I walked out the courtroom. I was smiling at the detectives like, y'all know it's on. And I got out that courtroom and there was something in my head kept saying, you said if I get you out of this, you'd never sell drugs again. And I never sold drugs again. Wow. That's crazy. There's God in my ear like that. As far as the um, the gangbanging part, no, I never, I feel no shame in that. I don't even look at it bad. 
I think poor people band together to stick together and they create their own opportunities. Right. You know, I think... Um, but now that you're not in the lifestyle, right? Like, I'm very much from where I'm from. I'm very much a 7th Street Watch right. gang member. So that's why, I'm, that's why I'm confused, like, because you never really get out of it, right? No, you don't, because but, getting out of it would be to say that these people aren't your friends anymore. But do you have to put your life at risk or your freedom at risk because you're still in it? You know what I mean? Like, what if something happens? You know what I mean? So it's tricky, Like, right? do you still um, you have to be smart? Like, you're older now. Well, so I think when you have kids, you start making decisions. Right? When you get married, you start making different decisions. You start sacrificing who you are for everybody else. Right. I don't have any of those things. Okay, so you don't have kids or a wife? No, no. Okay. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to make the wife thing happen, but the kid thing, I'm not having. Okay. I'm not having Yeah, that. me either. Yeah, I'm not having that. <laughs> uh, I wanted it, but it's too late. I'm like, yo, no, it's too late. <laughs> I don't want to do that. It's tricky, right? Because your friends are your friends. Like my homeboy Ron Ron, it's my friend. And we've been knowing each other since I probably was 13 and he was probably 10. You know, maybe nine. So if if something happens to him, am I not going to risk my life to get revenge or risk my freedom? I probably for sure still right now risk my freedom to do <laughs> If you did something to Ron Ron, I'm going to come do something to you. Okay. You know, so... And I don't know if it makes sense. You know, it's like if somebody came in here, I don't know if you have a bond with somebody, like, that's tough. You know, maybe you feel like the justice system is going to serve correct justice. I don't think it's justice for me. If you shot and killed one of my friends and you go to jail for the rest of your life, I want to get you stabbed in jail. I want to get pain inflicted on you because you deserve it. You know what I mean, this is my friend. So that's really what gangbanging is about in a nutshell. When you friends with somebody, y'all friends forever. So I don't think you ever really get out of it. Does that make sense? I don't think yeah. you ever like, oh, you know what? I'm let that cool. Like it's cool now because I'm grown. I'm, I'm I'm old now. No, like if they did something, I'm going to let the proper authorities do their job. I committed to this out. Right. I'm committed to this outlaw lifestyle. I don't believe in the justice system doing right by humanity. I think it's one size fits all. That's not true. You know what I mean? Our circumstances are different. You can't treat me the same way you treat somebody in Beverly Hills. I got it. I, I don't need y'all to do nothing if somebody hurt one of my friends. I show you how this should be done. I'll bring the wrath of God on these niggas about my friends. <laughs> uh, I read the Bible, man, and I look at all of the soldiers in the Bible. You know, they people murdered in the name of God. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, no, no, I don't. Nothing is going to change that. Maybe when I'm 70 and I'm not able. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm going to hit you with my right cane. Right now, if something happened <laughs> to slow or feel me or one of my friends, like unjustly, like, yo, now nah, we're going to see about it. You just... So, okay. So let's get into the Tupac Must Die. Sure. Okay. So you remade the, you know, how Tupac died in uh, September sure. 13th, 96, yeah, Vegas, yeah. Yep. in the street. Someone still till this day unsolved case, right? Sure. So you did it as from perspective of Orlando Baby Lane Anderson, yeah. who many people believe killed Tupac. Yeah. Okay. So what made you want to even like take this on? Like, so what happens is right again, back to the, I digress. So 2008, I get my first hit record. Don't know shit about records. Don't know shit about hip hop. All I know is what I'm saying is real. I'm a real dude from this lifestyle. Uh, no real background in music that I could retrace, you know what I'm saying? Very little understanding of records, minimal understanding of hip-hop outside of being the product itself, even less with marketing. Even when I was marketing at that time, I didn't know what I was doing. 
records coming out 9 2009 2010 2011 i hate how i was feeling i can't create opportunities for my friends that's coming on from prison like my friends is coming on from prison i can't create opportunities i can give them a thousand now i can't create opportunities from them so they could change their life because i just was saying when you go to prison that journey back is really tough right so i'm in a billion dollar business yet i cannot create opportunities for my homeboys coming back from jail that's killing me it didn't matter that I'm making $200,000 a year. That's not enough money. You're getting taxed. Feel me? You got a lifestyle. This shit is not enough money. I can't pay my friends $70,000 a year. Something's wrong. 2012, I'm starting to figure out what's wrong. My DJ, shout out to DJ Head. He, he got me on a journey to start understanding records. I figured it out. I took a test. I passed a test, which was the song That Good with Ty Dolla Sign. That was my test to figure out if I understood records. I like to call that experience college. 2012 to 2019 was college for me. So bachelor's of science and records, the uh, master's in the art of hip hop and the uh, and, uh, doctorates in the magic of marketing. That is what I was able to bring out. And what I realized through that whole time, 2011 to 2019 was, this is your responsibility. If you're going to do hip hop, if you're going to put out records, if you're going to market yourself, you have to know what you are doing. You have to know what people expect from you as a brand. What would people accept from you as a brand? I started understanding what my brand was. I was a, people looked at me as a gangster, as a gangster rapper, as an authority figure when it came to street content. I was able to isolate what people saw in me, not what I know myself as. I fancy myself an intellect. Everybody else looked at me like a fucking thug. So art is about how you see yourself. Business is about how the customers see you. They think I'm a thug, which means that I'm ignorant, and I'm vested in just street content. So it made me realize, okay, well, I'm an authority figure in street content. They know I'm a crip. What's the greatest crip story that's ever happened that I know of that hasn't been revealed? Hip-hop is all about revealing underworld to the mainstream. You know, uh, culture conversations, barbershop conversations to the mainstream. It's about revealing culture, lifestyle, get down, lingo, uh, morals. You know what I mean? Hip-hop presents that to the world. That's what hip hop is, culture, presenting culture to the world. It's like, okay, so I need to present cripping culture and morality to the world, but I need to tell a story that the world is familiar with, but they didn't know that this culture was involved with. Wow. Right, I know it's that deep, right? And NWA had did it with Fuck the Police. So I used that as a reflection piece, like, oh, fuck the police. That was the first time. People didn't know... People from our community felt that way. It was like, oh, the police is cool. They save lives and get no, cats out the like tree. They fucking to, in 1987, no. Black they, people on the street. Well, in 87, that wasn't the, the belief. You know, those things were hidden from mainstream. So when it was just like some niggas came out saying, fuck the police. It was like, what, why are you guys mad at the heroes? Right. Fast forward 2019, I'm like, damn, so what's the story? What can I say? I was like, oh, the biggest story is they didn't realize this situation was over gangbanging. This is some gangster shit that happened. So, so what you're saying is like facts. Oh, like yeah, yeah, this yeah. is what happened. Well, pretty much this is the universal idea that happened right. in real time. Was this in connection with Big U? No. Okay. So because no. some people say that he was in connection with it. So no, that's... no. Unc was in prison. Who... So that's how I made it. So I made it because it was like, this is the story I was hearing supposed other people... to tell. Right. You're hearing other people saying the wrong shit. You're like, fuck it. And like... then I'm watching rappers getting gangs. That they have no understanding of culture, right? So whether it's a Chris Brown, whether it's a Soldier Boy, whether it's any 
person that's a grown-up person that's getting involved. I'm, I just wanted to make sure they understood how the culture worked. It's like, make sure you make the right decision because if you do this... What do you mean? All those rappers were getting into gangs yes. after they got famous? Yeah. Lil Wayne, um, obviously Tupac to some people, right? So they're all joining gangs. They're all becoming the identity and mascot for these gangs. So that became my responsibility to tell that story. Wow. That's how I felt it. It wasn't really about... It wasn't simple like Tupac, this. It was like, this is a story you guys all know from a mainstream perspective, yet I can give you a hip-hop perspective that's very much based off of reality completely. I saw some people were fucking pissed off in your comments. Oh, hugely in real Why life. Why are they so mad? <laughs> it makes you question somebody we all love. Maybe this person... Um, maybe you have to come to the conclusion that this person understood what they were getting themselves into and... You know, you that person wasn't as much of a victim as you like to believe. It was just a product of lifestyle. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to accept that mm -hmm. a deity, right, is making a choice that isn't considering everything else and considering this one thing. But I mean, but we I just feel like if you listen to his music, you should know that he was he he you know what I mean? He already knew what he was in. You know, I he, agree. he didn't give a fuck. That's what, that's he what said, I, fuck, that's what fuck thought, you, fuck you, said, thought, fuck you, you know, I like, said, that's thought. why I love them. Cause I'm like, he gives zero fucks, but like, that's the repercussions of but so early Tupac, certain things. Early Tupac is different. So, right. You have people who fell in love with early Tupac, right? Early Tupac, which was for black advancement against the oppressor, mm -hmm. uh, you know, love women, um, never would disrespect any woman you grow. And then. If your ideas are rooted in art and then your ideas become rooted in reality. Tupac, initially, his ideas were rooted in art and beliefs. And then he started living life and being out here and was like, hold up. Some of these niggas is unsavory and I'm going to stand with my niggas. And I think that people don't like that Tupac. They like the attitude, but they don't like, they don't want to believe he became that person. Right. That's what I think. So people cuss me on the comments. Dr. Dre cussed me out. For like an hour and a half. Corrupt cussed me out for an hour. <laughs> uh, quick cussed me out. But I think they just didn't understand it because when they all figured out what it was, it was like, wow. They all understood that it was really good and it was really necessary. But it took them a while because they was all these legends just cussing me out. Some of them got it. Though. How long did it take you to write this? I don't know. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. What? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, you guys' brains is yeah. crazy to me. Yeah. It was uh and with with the visuals like all true to location right inside the MGM um you can't shoot inside a casino did you know the people you're walking up to at the slot machines no <laughs> I was wondering if that was no. real or not <laughs> no we just told them what we were doing <laughs> okay so we got 5.1 million views how long did that take well what's funny is it's over all the platforms because none of the platforms would let us run ads they pretty much shadow banned the video well they didn't pretty much they shadow banned the video it's like yo we're not gonna promote this at all. If people don't come looking for it, it doesn't exist. Okay. So um, it would have probably been 20 or 30 million, but, you know, making real hip hop, it's like Fuck the Police is not the number one song on the chart. <laughs> it just wasn't going to be. Wow. So you got to take the wins with the losses sometimes. So where'd you get your name from? I can't see. Glasses <laughs> was a joke. My hood name is Glasses Low. So my big homie made that. They started calling me that to be funny. Where your glasses at? Glasses. Fucking glasses. That was a joke. And then you fight enough people and shoot some people and it start having respect. And then it's like glasses low. It's like big glasses low. 
then that's how I got my name. So you can't see right now? I got contacts. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, Glass House project. So you're basically revamping a mixtape you already did. Yeah, 2011. And that's with the four new songs, which one of them I heard yesterday, which yep. was Six in the Morning. Yep. So good job on that one. Thank yeah, we you. say it how Ice T was on it. Thank you. Which I I didn't even know that Ice T ever like really so rapped. I, so I could tell, right? So you're <laughs> so in its essence, right? Ice T is the first successful West Coast rapper globally recognized. Wow. He's the first gangster rapper globally recognized from the West Coast. So the song, six in the morning, police at my door, fresh Adidas quick across the bathroom floor, out the back window to make my escape. Didn't even get a chance to grab my old school tape. You have, you had to hurt. That's him? That's him. Okay. It's the first West wow. Coast hip hop song and the first globally recognized gangster rap song. Damn. So it took it back to the origin. So that's why six in the morning that I made is so important because it celebrates the father the god of West Coast and gangster hip-hop. And ha- to have him on the record with you. So are you guys like in the studio together when you're doing yeah, this? So it was you, time. Snoop. So no, it was me and Ice and then me and Snoop. Okay. I went separate times with them. And so you've worked with The Game. Sure. Too Short is on the new album. Yep. Um, Ty Dolla Sign. Of course. How's working with him? He's fucking um, just a genius. Yeah. It's fucking I super, feel like, yeah, I feel super like... duper. It's like Rick James reincarnated <laughs> like, on steroids though. <laughs> He's tough. He's one of the. He makes me. He challenges my. He makes me challenge myself all the time. So this is like a prequel version, right? I just redid it. So it's Coolio, Cypress Hill. It's pretty much all the heritage acts that created West Coast hip hop the way we see it. That's what I did. E40, Short, Kid Ink, Coolio, Cypress Hill, Exhibit, uh, wow. the East Siders, Corrupt. Um, Everybody who I grew up listening to, Ice T, Snoop, Ty, you know. Um, but it's like it's just that easy that you just get them on the album now, like. Now it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At first it wasn't. That's sure. what, like I'm saying. You just have all these like. I know, right? Crazy Legends. artists. I know, right? And I think a lot of times <laughs> urban culture, we don't tend to celebrate our legends. I wanted to make sure I stopped that. I broke that. Um, having Ice T, you know, to be able to tell you who Ice T is. Like, and then rap a song that I know you know for sure, but you didn't necessarily know that that was Finn Tutuola from SVU. So the version of Ice-T that somebody younger knows is not the version I know. Right. I grew up, Ice-T is the first superstar rapper I've seen because he's the first rapper that I've seen on a big screen, right? So it was a movie called Breaking that was one of the first earliest West Coast culture movies about dancing. Um, Ozone and Turbo, you should check it out. It's called Breaking. And Ice-T is rapping in the movie. So, mind you, you know, rap is not on MTV like that. It's not on television like that. You know what I mean? In, in 84, 85, when I'm four or five years old. It's not out there like that. It's um still like this underground thing that you could kind of hear. You know, you might hear it on K-Day. People around your neighborhood played it. But, you know, this is still Michael Jackson time. This is Madonna. This is Prince, top-level urban acts. You know what I mean? Even Madonna, like... The biggest acts is what you heard consistently. So to go to a movie theater and see Ice-T on the fucking screen, like this is a fucking, I don't know how big them screens are, fucking 20 feet. He's rapping. So this is the first star I ever seen rapping. And a year later, comes out six in the morning. And it's like the biggest thing. And everybody's talking about it. And 
you know, you know all of the words. And at six in the morning, police sat my door. This is like one of the most legendary intros in the history of hip hop. And he's rapping about the lifestyle that's happening on the West Coast. Like, this is the first time we were represented to the rest of the country. Like, this is what's going on. Wow. And, you know, he's huge. And then, mind you, this is how you get uh, uh, rolling down the street in my 6 foe. So Ice-T is the father. To have him on this song, you know, roughly 40 years later is impressive. It's important to me. I've been watching Ice-T get so much love from this. So I, I, I've been hitting him, teasing him like, yo, people still want you to rap, bro. Like, this is important. Right. And I remember when I was doing it, he was like, yo, you, you like, you want to, I'm like, yeah, fool, it's Ice-T and Snoop. This is the first song Snoop Dogg and Ice-T have been on together. Wow. You know what I'm Ever? saying? Ever. That's weird. So this is like the god of gangster rap, and this is the savior of gangster rap. Damn, I can't believe they never were on an album together. I know, right? But did they? They didn't have no beef, right? No. But no. it's like West. Just, the West Coast does a horrible job with working with each other, <laughs> which is why Mount Westmore is so important. Uh, the Snoop Forty Too Short and Ice Cube album together, Mount Westmore. Oh, okay. So that's why it's so important. Are you on that one? No, I wish. No, I wish. <laughs> Who do you think is your favorite artist that you've worked with in My the studio? Favorite artist I've ever worked with in the studio. That's a good question. You know what? I, I can't say my favorite artist, right? You know, one of my favorite moments is working with Dom Kennedy to do After Hours. Are you up on Dom Kennedy? I heard his name. So Dom Kennedy is like one of the most revered and underrated West Coast artists, period. Just unbelievably great, you know what I mean? But coming to the studio to do that song with him, and um, because I created the idea to do that song with Dom Kennedy and Nipsey Hussle, I created it for both of those guys. Like making the beat, making the song, I knew that I was making a song that brought us three together. So I made it custom for Dom and Nip. So to go to the studio and watch him execute, and which is one of my favorite Dom Kennedy verses that fit him so perfect. That was one of the special moments. Okay. And so you worked with Nipsey Hussle too? Of course. Okay. Awesome guy. If you could work with anybody right now, who are you going to work with that you haven't worked with yet? You know who I would like to, it's not even work with. So, okay, here you go. The person I would like to work with is probably Jermaine Dupri, right? Jermaine Dupri is insane, so I would like to work with Jermaine Dupri. The person I would like to be in the same room with to talk to is Pharrell. Oh, yeah, I like Pharrell. Because Pharrell is the artist that I can't figure out. He, he reminds me of Prince. You're doing something with records, like I could kind of see what you're doing, but I would love to pick your brain and figure out exactly what it is and see if you would tell me. So tell me about this show, No Love. So, so I'm in love with Raphael Sadiq. He talks about how the streets, um, like people who you even think are the most beloved characters in the streets, still don't get love. Um, it's about two legendary street guys, one named Del Dog from Main Street Mafia, a really close friend of Shaquille O'Neal's, um, really great guy, and he was killed in the streets. Um, the second verse is about, it's like the, the story of Nipsey Hussle in, in a nutshell. Mm. That's what the concept is. Even the guys that are the most celebrated guys on the streets, somehow the streets still don't do them right. It was a guy that I I, um, I knew kind of coming up. His name was Lionel Lonnie from a gang called Denver Lanes. He was killed. 
You know, all the people who I think really the streets really love, somehow even the best characters in the streets somehow still Why the streets do you think take that, them though? away. Because the streets like don't you're... really have love. I mean, it's, it's still a bunch of people that's struggling and and you don't know how they look to you for what you have or assuming what you have or what's going on with uh this netflix show fastest car yeah i did a street racing show with netflix oh okay so you was really racing were you yeah, like yeah. the stunt or was it like were no, you no, in no, the no, whole no. thing i was racing okay yeah, yeah and um it actually is a spinoff coming behind it that's developing um it's like my own street race thing with different around the country so that's dope Oh, nice. That's what I've been focused on. Okay, so this is, um, was that your first acting? For sure, for sure. I wouldn't even act before. It's <laughs> like, yo, that's like a real talent. Like, <laughs> I can't just walk in Denzel's field, field of work and be like, yo, what's up? All right, we have three more albums coming up, right? Yeah. What's the names of those? So right now, is obviously Glass House is the prequel, right? It's a project with Irvin Pope, the producer, a producer from our hometown. That project is called Imperial. Los Angeles Nights, which is actually considered my third album, which is, should be like, I count all my albums. That's going on this year. Okay. So can you spit something for us? Can we hear something live? Oh, uh, just something live. Damn, I don't even, I don't think the last time somebody asked me to rap. <laughs> Shout out to my boys in Young Giants. I'm working on a project too, the Giants. They have a project being released. Um, it's called uh, All I Want. Uh... Okay, I got you. I got you. Uh, I keep it west like in and out. Like wearing house shoes, lying in the house. Corduroy, stepping on the back of them. Blue faces, bro, I'm trying to get a stack of them. CIP, my nigga nip, I can't relax on them. If them niggas riders, I unstrap on them. Wreck G on the C, that's unlikely. Blood of Jesus cover me like a white tee. On both knees, pray to God for this glot. Call this whole Zeus, sound like thunder when it not. Lead showers, grab your umbrella. The toughest fellas, nigga, run telling. At any park, look, my hands prevailing. That's Campanella up to Helen Keller. All this shine that I'm used to selling. Checking melon. Believe me when I tell you, I can't trust a thing. Glasses Malone. <laughs> Wait, so you said you were bred by Birdman to run a record label, so yeah. he helped you too? That's I was signed to Birdman. I was signed to Cash Money Records. Oh, I didn't know it was connected. So okay. the song certified was Cash Money Records. Okay. Uh, I have a ton of songs with Lil Wayne. I have songs with Birdman. Mac 10, who was he from? So Mac 10 and Birdman, was I was signed to together. Oh, wow. So Mac 10 is a product of Ice Cube. Obviously, you know, Birdman is who groomed Lil Wayne. Okay. So Birdman taught me most of the things I know about the business. Mac 10 taught me a lot of stuff about the business, but things I needed to understand visually and what it needed to look like for people to buy into it. Wow. So I was groomed for this role right now. So now it's time to get it on. That's awesome that you have this, that that help. You know what I mean? That you had that help, that they took yeah. the time and like to teach you. Because yeah. I learned that a lot of people say like to be successful in life, you have to help other people. Wealth is truly in people. Um, right now, the most successful businesses are the business of convenience, like Uber. Uber helps people. <laughs> people who have cars that need to make money right? with people who need ride. They, they hook them up and they make billions of dollars for doing that. Postmates. People who want food but don't want to leave their house. With people who have cars that don't mind going to get food, hook them up. Now they're making a ton of money. All, all the best businesses are in, in the business of convenience right now. Right. Making it easy for people to be lazy. Is there a time in your life that you thought you were going to die? 
Sure. What, what, what's like? What's the big one that jumps out to you? Uh, when the rival gang, the Carver Parks, came through my neighborhood and we was playing a football game after we had finished shooting at them, and they came back shooting at us, and we was in the foot in the field that was wide open, and they came back shooting some crazy shit, and they shot two of my homeboys, and they missed a lot of us, but I thought I was gonna get shot that day because all I heard was gunshots, and I didn't dive or move or nothing. I just stood straight up. Hmm. Outside of that, it was a time we were going to uh, perform. It's a, a festival called The Gathering that's put on by ICP and the Juggalos, their fan base. It's called The Gathering. And uh, it was a storm in Atlanta. And we couldn't land the plane. We were supposed to land in Atlanta and drive the rest of the way. And um, it was a storm cloud, a really bad storm in, in over Georgia. And we couldn't land, so we had to keep flying through it. <laughs> just kept over and over. Oh, hell no. <laughs> there was a lady on the plane <coughs> screaming and hollering. It was me and DJ Head. And this lady was just like, every time she was going enraged. Because it was, a, it, don't get me wrong, the turbulence was unbearable. But right. she was hollering. I thought I was going to die too. Oh, shit. Yeah. Those two times. So what do you think is your best advice for anybody that's in the music industry trying to do what you're trying to do? Whether it be writing, sing, or rapping. Getting into uh, marketing, like study records, study record, and now and now, what's the definition for you of a record? Hit a hit record. Now that you know what it is, yeah. Songs that everybody celebrates, study those. Okay. It's a lot of things in common. If you're trying to be in the record business, study records, and and find out all the things in common based off of the regions, stuff you're from, and you can understand a lot of stuff if you just study records, not just music production, not going to music college or. Not just that, and not just engineering school, but study hit records. Shout out to everybody listening. Um, shout out to everybody that's 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 trying to go out and get their dream done. Do you do something to help others back in um, Watch, where you're yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. I'm doing actually. I'm doing um, seven week work, seven weeks worth of getaways, shoes, things like that. But I'm working on a grander plan to help people from Watts. Like a really grand plan. That's my focus. I really <clears throat> want to fix it. And I believe that me and a couple of my partners, Tyrese, J-Rock, different people, I think we can do it. I can't say we can fix the world, but we can definitely fix where we from. What's up, GLA double dollar sign each side. Y'all already know, man. If y'all fuck with me, fuck with her. The faded truth. Hit that subscribe button. It's right there. Just eh. All right. Well, I appreciate you being here. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. I'm sorry I got you high. It's all good. I'm used to it. <laughs> Everybody around me smokes. I'm glad you could tell you was like, oh, he fucked up. <laughs> all right, y'all. Until next time. Peace.